Psalm 125 tonight. Psalm 125. Spend a few minutes there. Psalm 125, starting in verse 1, says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forevermore. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. So as we come to Psalm 125, and we've talked about these patterns of threes in the Ascent Psalms, where we have a problem, and then we have a a provision or a praise, and then we have a peace or um, even a praise to end out with. We come to the third one here in Psalm 125, and and it's a it's a praise. It can be sort of couched as a lament, but it's a it's a praise that the Lord is faithful to those who trust in Him. And so we really we can split it up into two sections. Number one the Lord's picture out of verses 1 and 2, and then the Lord's provisions out of verses 3 through 5. So the Lord's picture and the Lord's provisions. So with the, with the Lord's picture, verses 1 and 2, really what we have here are two similes. Two similes. They that trust in the Lord shall be as or shall be like Mount Zion. What about Mount Zion? which cannot be removed, but it abides forever. And so the first picture that's given in Psalm 125 is that those who trust the Lord shall be stable, immovable. They'll be like Mount Zion in the sense that they have a firm footing. And then he goes on in verse 2. We'll come back and talk about that a little bit more. But then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so just like that, the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forever. So verse 1, they're stable. Verse 2, they are surrounded. Okay, Just like the mountains surround Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds His people. Now, the, the psalm here is really focusing in on or maybe really emphasizing um, trusting God, but it's it's not trusting God in an easy setting. It's really trusting God in adverse circumstances. Once we get down to the Lord's provisions, one of the first promises that's made is that the rod of the wicked will not rest upon the lot of the righteous forever. It's not always going to be that way. But while we live in a world where wickedness is present and many times wickedness and evil reigns, the Lord's given us some provisions and He's made some promises and given some pictures of the righteous in the midst of that. So um, as far as the historical setting, there's a lot of different ideas about what this could be, whether or not it's when they came back from the exile or uh, some difficult times in the early history, and it really doesn't matter uh, which one it was because Psalm 125, like every other psalm, really is 
um, spe- specific enough to bring encouragement and it's general enough to apply to really any circumstance, any difficulty, and any generation. So, those who trust in the Lord. You know, this is a big theme in Scripture. Uh, we go to Jeremiah 17 often. Um, Blessed is the man who trusts in the arm of the Lord. Um, a few verses up from that, there is a curse pronounced on those who trust in the arm of man. Maybe we think about the passage that says some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but I will trust in the Lord. Um, maybe we think about Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And the reason that I, I even bring all those up is because when we think about trust, there are so many things in this world that are um, uh, really... Uh, competing for your trust. Your your heart is drawn away, tempted at least, to be drawn away to all kinds of different areas for trust, for stability, for security. Um, Psalm 118 says that um, to trust in the Lord is better than trusting in Man and better than trusting in princes. Now, the idea there is that it's better to trust God than it is to trust or put your trust and hope in um, government authorities, powers that seem like they um, can affect or control uh, your well being. But here, the psalmist is clearly speaking to those who haven't let their hearts wander, but their hearts are fixed on the Lord. Now, we may fight to keep those hearts fixed on the Lord, and surely we do. Um, In unstable times, particularly in a society, it's natural for people to look for stability in a... um, an authoritative replacement or something like that. In times of financial leanness, it's natural for our hearts to try to find security and stability in money, in finances, and those kinds of things. And and we could go all night just talking about all the different temptations that we have to try to find our stability, our security in. But the picture here is of those who are trusting in the Lord, they're hoping in the Lord, and they shall be, number one, as Mount Zion. They shall be stable. They shall be stable. So, circumstances all around them can change, but they're immovable. They don't move. Now, it's not because they're so great. It's because the Lord in whom they trust never changes. It's a sure thing. He's a sure thing. So think about it from Psalm 46. See, if we're not careful, we could read Psalm 125 and think this is talking about elite believers, those who maybe are the special forces among Christians who have really figured this trust thing out. And that's not what the psalmist is talking about. The psalmist is saying that those who trust in the Lord, uh, in Psalm 34, it says that those who trust in the Lord are not disappointed or ashamed because the Lord is faithful. 
So, stable. Uh, Psalm 46. Uh, we've referenced this psalm several times um, here lately, but Psalm 46, the first three verses, says, God is our refuge and a strength. I'm sorry, our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, that is, pause and ponder, meditate on this. God is our refuge and He's our strength, the very present help in time of trouble. And so we will not fear, even though uh, the things that, um, you know, the unthinkable happen. I mean, He's poetically describing some, some pretty major things. The earth be removed. The mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That is, the, the seas just swallow up the mountains. Um, in, in uncertain times, in, in difficult times, he says, we won't fear. Why? Because the Lord is our refuge. We will continue to run to Him as our safety. We will continue to look to Him for our strength. Picture of stability. Or Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, verse 1. It says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues. That's a picture of instability, isn't it? It's an individual who flees, who runs, who sees danger where there is no danger. It's, it's an individual who, um, whose life and whose stability is based upon their circumstance. They flee when no man's pursuing. There's an instability there. But the righteous, they're as bold as a lion. They're stable even in difficult circumstances. They're stable even in an uncertain world. Why is that? Well, here's another passage that we've looked at and gone to several times over the last couple of weeks in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. When we think about stability in an uncertain world, when we think about what does it mean to trust God, I mean, it's, it's one thing for us to, to read the text, to talk about that, to say those who trust the Lord are stable, but that can still be kind of fuzzy. What does that actually mean? And Jesus really helps make it concrete as He finishes up the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. In verse 24, when He says, Therefore... Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a man, a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Who, how is it that the house was so stable? Or what did it mean for the individual to build their house on the rock? 
Well, it meant that they heard the Word of God, they believed the Word of God, and they acted on the Word of God. Okay? We, should, we could say trust and obey. Belief is an act of obedience. So they, they, they heard it, they believed it, and they acted on it. Now, when we think about uncertain times, I mean, we just, all we really have to do is think about the political climate. And in an election year, you already know that people are about to lose their minds over all the shenanigans that's going to happen between now and November. Psalm 125 is a psalm for an election year, particularly one like this. Okay, um, We are not looking to candidates to save the nation. Now, there's obviously some that are better than others, and it's fine for us to have our preferences and to use the, the, the brains that the Lord has given us, but as it relates to people who are worthy of our trust, our hope, um, that doesn't belong in Washington. Those who trust in the Lord will be stable. They'll be like Mount Zion. Stable. Now again, we're thinking politically for a second. Whether their candidate wins or not, they're stable. Why? Because the Lord is reigning over he is sovereign in our circumstance. Although it looks uncertain to us, it's certainly not out of control and uncertain with Him. So there's some stability. Stability doesn't mean you're never disappointed. doesn't mean that there's never any sadness. It just means you're not knocked off course. You're, you're, you're planted on the rock. You are hearing. You are believing you are obeying you're taking your cues from the lord not from the world so stable number two back in psalm 125 as the mountains are round about jerusalem so the lord is round about his people from henceforth even forevermore number two his people are surrounded those who trust in the Lord, which is a, a fruit of being brought into His kingdom and His being one of His people, they are surrounded by God like the mountains surround Jerusalem. Well, we could go, I mean, if we were thinking about themes in Scripture, we could go to all kinds of places there. I mean, uh, is this not a picture of um, the Lord telling His people again and again and again, I'm with you. I'm with you as as you go through um, the waters, as you go through the fires, as you go through the valleys, as you're in your difficult circumstances, I'm with you. And it's not even that's almost even an understatement. It's not that I'm with you. I'm surrounding you. Psalm 34. Verse seven says the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. That's just synonymous for trust and delivereth them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and they deliver Him. Now the angel of the Lord is just the Lord's messenger. Okay, This is the Lord's provision for His people. They are surrounded by the Lord's provision. Or we could think about Psalm 91. Psalm 91 Verse 4, 
It says, he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Now, this is obviously metaphorical. It's talking about the Lord protecting, covering his people under his wings. Um, His truth will be your shield, or we could also say your covering, your buckler. So the Lord has surrounded His people with protection. In Zechariah chapter 2, verse 5, the Lord says He's going to be a wall of fire around His people. Again, we're thinking about protection. Now, this is a point that's illustrated in 2 Kings chapter 6, particularly verses 15 through 17. But in 2 Kings um, chapter 6, the king of Assyria is wondering why all his plans keep failing. And finally somebody tells him it's Elisha. He knows and he's telling folks, and so that's why what you're trying to do is never happening. And so he gets upset and he sends his army out to find, surround, and essentially arrest um, Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, Elisha's servant goes out And he looks around and he recognizes we are in trouble. It's two of us and it's a whole bunch of them. They were surrounded by the king's army. And Elisha looks at him and says, what are you so worried about? There are more with us than there are with them. And then he prays that the Lord would open up his servant's eyes. And when his servant's eyes were opened, he was able to see that there was a, um, lack of a better word, a heavenly army there fighting on behalf of him and Elisha. They were surrounded by God and by his provisions and by his protection. Well, brothers and sisters, that's not just an Old Testament story. That's not just a one and done. That's not a one-time deal. Now, I'm not saying that... um, you have an army in the same sense that's ready to descend upon your enemies and kill them. But I am saying this, if you belong to the Lord, you are surrounded by Him. Now, it gets even more intimate than this whenever we get into John chapter 10. Think about this word picture, and we'll be here probably on Sunday. But Think about this word picture as it relates to being surrounded by the Lord. Um. In John chapter 10, verse 27, you know this passage fairly well. Most of you do. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You see what the picture there. In verse 28, no man can pluck you out of Jesus' hand. In verse 29, the Father, who he says is greater than me, gave them, and no man can pluck you out of his hand. The picture is one who's surrounded. Now, the top and bottom part doesn't really matter, but Christ's hand on one side and the Father's hand on the other side, completely surrounded. Isn't that a wonderful picture? So those who 
trust in the Lord are, number one, stable like Mount Zion. Number two, they are surrounded like Jerusalem as the mountains surrounded Jerusalem. So that's the Lord's picture. And then secondly, when we go back to Psalm 125, we see the Lord's provisions. The Lord's provisions. Uh, The Lord provides some things for those who trust in Him. Number one, out of verse three, the Lord provides a promise. The Lord provides a promise. Now, just let me make a general statement here. It's worth noting that those who trust in the Lord live off of the promises of God. Um, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If you're living by faith or if you're seeking to walk by faith, that's not some willy-nilly, fuzzy, general statement. If you're living by faith, that means that you are thinking, acting, believing according to specific promises that the Lord has made for His people. So, as we trust in God, we're trusting in something about God. It's something about God that God has revealed Himself to us. Sometimes, particularly in um, uh, the world's characterization of Christianity, uh, it's this idea of... of, um, some sort of a faith that you get to come up with. I want God to do this, and so I'm going to put God to the test, and if He's faithful, then He'll do what I want Him to do. Well, the Bible doesn't know anything about that. That's not called walking by faith. Walking by faith means the Lord has given a great and precious promise, and so we live off of it. We believe it. We embrace it. Um, so, the Lord's provisions, number one, a promise. Look in verse 3. It says, for the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Promise number one here, really it's the the only promise in in the psalm. The promise is this, that the rule of the wicked is only for a short time. Okay, the rule of the wicked is only for a short time. And you'll notice he says, the reason why, at least in this passage, is lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. That is, the righteous become so desperate that they end up um, in weakness, falling in with the wicked. You know, sometimes, and this is a this is a legitimate concern. Sometimes people who are going through difficult trials, people who are faced with hard temptations of all kinds, wonder, "Am I going to make it?" Am I going to make it? And the answer for every one of God's people is yes. You're going to make it. Are you going to stumble? Maybe, but you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Keep moving. Keep moving. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a real, um, uh, is, is connected to this idea that the Lord will not. Let's just go to the, go to the, the, the passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as, as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, 
Flee from idolatry. Now, we've talked about this before, but sometimes, and unfortunately, really the, the, the most common way that this passage is used and misquoted is, God will never give you more than you can bear. That's not what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is teaching. It's not that God will never give you more than you can bear. It's that there's, number one, there's no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. Okay, so we live in a world where temptations are difficult. Temptations are intense, but they're common in the sense of we live in a fallen world and we aren't the first and we won't be the last to go through. The Lord has been delivering his people out of the common to man temptations since the beginning. And he will deliver us too if we walk with him through it. Number two, God is faithful. And here's sometimes where the interpretation goes wrong. Who will not suffer you to be attempt to be tempted above that ye are able. But with the temptation will also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So the question is, what is this able and escape? So you won't be suffered to be tempted above that which you are able. And you will be given a way to escape. Escape what? Well, sometimes people say to escape the temptation or your ability to bear up under the temptation in some sort of self-sufficiency. Well, the passage is about God's faithfulness, not about your self-sufficiency. So there are plenty of things that we're going to face in life that are going to be way too heavy for us to handle by ourselves. And the thing that God is going to bless us to be able to escape is not the trial. As a matter of fact, the point of all of this is the end of the verse that you might be able to bear the trial, bear up under the trial. Notice how that connects to Psalm 125 verse 3. The rod of the wicked will not rest upon the lot of the righteous lest the righteous put forth their hands unto Iniquity. What are they escaping? Well, they're escaping joining in and sinning when the temptation gets heavy. Verse 14, but also bear that out. Wherefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. You know, idolatry is uh, something that we deal with every day. It's something we have to fight against every day, but when we are under heavy temptations, our ability to manufacture an idol that gives us some relief is just incredible. We can come up with all kinds of ideas about where we could find relief, security, stability, what would make things better. And so the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is trusting in the Lord and walking with the Lord is far better than trying to prematurely get out from under a trial that's heavy and difficult. The provision in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is that you might bear the trial without sinning. Because in our sinfulness, in our weakness, we find all kinds of godless ways to try to self-medicate when we're hurting and when things are difficult. Again, it doesn't take long to just look at the culture, look at the society and see this. But for time's sake, we'll move forward. 
So, a promise. The wicked will not rule forever. Secondly, a prayer. A prayer out of verse 4. Do good, O Lord, to those that be good and to them that are upright in their hearts. It's just really a prayer for blessing. Lord, we want to be faithful. Notice it's not just a personal prayer. It's a communal prayer or a corporate prayer. Lord, do good to those who be good. We could also say to those whom you've made good. He's not talking about uh, blessing somebody based upon what they've earned. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. You know, this is, this is one of the areas where we really can struggle. I've told you this before, but a lot of times when people go through difficulties, they, they wonder, is God mad at me? Is that why I'm having to go through this? Is God mad at me? Is He punishing me for something? Is he, what, what's going on here? You know what the reality is? God is always good toward His people. Now, what we receive from His hand might not feel good, but it doesn't mean that it's not good. Um, There's plenty of medicine that tastes nasty while it's going down that has a very good effect once it has time to take root. Okay, so the Lord is good to His people. And we, this is a prayer that we can pray in times of difficulty. This is a prayer, prayer that we can pray as we seek to trust in His provisions, His goodness. We think about that uh, verse that we refer to often in Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely, surely, this statement of confidence. If I don't know anything else, I know this. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It will violently hunt me down. God will find me and pursue me with His goodness and with His mercy. So, a prayer. Do good. And then a warning. Verse 5a. As for such as turn aside under their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. Such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. Now this is a warning that's meant to produce endurance. Proverbs 14.14 really gives us a summary statement of this. Proverbs 14.14 The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Um, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19, the Lord says that uh, your your reproof will be your own punishment. Um, In other words, you're going to reap what you sow and it's going to come back and, and it'll be your own punishment. So it's a warning. It's a warning in uncertain times. It goes back to the prayer. It goes back to the, uh, uh, to the promise. It's a warning for those who might deviate, for those who might turn aside. But then we also have a blessing, and that's 5b. As far as the Lord's provisions, we have a promise, we have a prayer, we have a warning, and then we have a blessing. The end of verse 5 but peace shall be upon Israel. Peace shall be upon Israel. Those that turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace will be 
upon Israel. It makes us think of Isaiah 26.3 that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. Or even Philippians chapter 4 verses 5-7 through seven, where Paul gets to the end and says that the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. As you cast, I'm summarizing here, as you cast your anxieties upon Him, as you go to Him in thanksgiving, as you go to Him in supplication, as you go to Him in, in prayer, in other words, as you keep your mind fixed on Him, then your heart will be filled with peace, which is a blessing from the Lord. So Psalm 125, it's a short psalm, it's just five verses, but it's a, it's a psalm that's really packed with um, uh, principles for meditation. Uh, you get a lot out of these word pictures and then particularly these provisions. As we think about the blessing of being in the number of those who trust in the Lord. May the Lord bless us and bless this psalm to our hearts this week. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You um, that You have, again, given us Your Word and that you've spoken, and that you've given us uh, just exceeding great and precious promises. And so I pray that you would bless us to find Psalm 125 to be true in our own hearts and in our own lives. Lord, I pray you would bless us to look to you and to place our trust in you and in you alone in an uncertain world, in uncertain times, and in difficult trials. We pray that you would bless us to do this to your honor and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.